This project is supported by a charitable donation from Pfizer Limited. Hello, I'm Victoria Derbyshire. I was 46 years old and getting on with my happy life. I didn't feel as though I had a care in the world. And then came breast cancer. This podcast, brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity, is for those of you who've experienced a moment like that. And everyone in your life that's affected too. Your family, your friends, your work colleagues, the people who are caring for you, who hold you close, the people you lean on. It's a podcast for that moment and for what happens next. This episode is called Breast Cancer and Faith, and I have four women with very different stories and views for you to listen to. Hello, ladies. Hello. 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 My name is Taj. Um, I'm 45. I am a mother of three, and I live in London. I was raised in the Catholic faith, um, first in California, but moved to the UK just over 20 years ago. I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer in June 2019. It was initially a stage two diagnosis, um, which meant it was solely in the breast. But after a week of body scans, it ended in a stage four diagnosis, which meant it had spread from my breast to my liver and my lungs. And it was quite a shock. I'm now, fast forward almost two years, I'm in uncharted territory. I've been through a chemo and immunotherapy treatment plan. I've had a lumpectomy and radiotherapy, and I continue now with immunotherapy, and so far so good. But a stage four diagnosis, for those of us who know, means it's incurable. And um, I live from scan to scan. Hello, I'm Michelle. I'm originally from Liverpool. I have three boys um, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, in 2010. I had surgery um, and uh, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, um, hormone treatment. And I'm pleased to say that uh, several months ago, I uh, finally stopped um, taking um, drugs uh, and hopefully finish my treatment. So um, touch wood, I'm good. Um, I was raised really um, without faith. I was christened uh, into the Church of England, um, but really just because that's kind of what everybody did then. Um, And I kind of veer between agnostic and atheist in that I'm a reluctant atheist, if you like, because I'd like to believe, but I kind of don't. Although I do prefer to think that there is a great good. Um, I'm not a member of any church and and if pushed, I would probably say atheist. Hi, um, so I'm Sahin. I'm a wife and a mother um, to a nine-year-old. I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, last March um, and I guess I was lucky because I was told very early on that it was a curable cancer or that it at least responded very well to treatment. So I had um, um, the tumour removed. I did need chemo, um, which was a bit of a shock. And then I had a radiotherapy, which all wound up just before Christmas um, last year, 2020. And um, at the moment, I'm just taking tamoxifen, which I believe I'll be taking for the next five to 10 years. 
And you are a Muslim. And I am a Muslim, yes. Hello, um, I'm Helen. I'm Jewish. And in fact, I'm actually a rabbi. And in my community, we thought we were doing really wonderfully well. We had a cancer support group and I was involved. Then I got a phone call from my sister, my twin. We're identical, but she lives in Melbourne in Australia. And she said, I've just been diagnosed with something called Cowden's syndrome. It's very rare. But if you have it, there's an 80% likelihood of you, you will end up with breast cancer. She says, I've got it. You need to go to the doctor. So I went with my lovely husband, thankfully, because the specialist said, he said to me, because of the underlying genetic thing, I think your best way forward would be to have a double mastectomy and reconstruction. And apparently, I didn't know at the time, but I held my poor husband's hand so tight, I drew blood, uh, digging my fingernails into his palm. Well, welcome, all of you. It's really good to have you as part of this conversation. Uh, Taj, you told us you were initially diagnosed with a breast cancer that was aggressive but treatable. Was that diagnosis a shock? It, it was a shock. Um Although I think if I think of my my history, my, my mother has had breast cancer, so I was always quite aware. She's also had ovarian cancer and lymphoma, and she's still going at 88. Um, but I, I went to the doctor initially because I had felt some lumps, but they moved um, over a couple of months. And then I felt one under my arm. And, and I really thought I was going through menopause. I thought I was 43 and I thought it was an early menopause. It's just like what my mother went through. Um, so I was shocked when I went for the initial mammogram and scan. I went to the GP. He wasn't concerned. He did a, a physical exam and he said, oh, I'm not too concerned, but I'll refer you. And um, immediately on that day where I had the mammogram and an ultrasound, the um, the surgeon at the clinic said, I don't like what I see and I'm, I'm sorry, it's bad news, but I can't tell you how bad until we get the pathology results back. So I, I was surprised, even though I, looking back, I think I should have been, I should have been more careful. I should have actually actively gone and screened myself so much regu- more regularly than, um, you know, than what was offered. But mm. anyway, it is what it is. I mean, at that point, I believe when you'd had some tests, you were told it was treatable. However, once you'd had more tests, it became clear it had spread. What did the oncologist tell you? The oncologist um, said, I, I met her after a week after my diagnosis, initial diagnosis. And during that week, I had um, CT scans, MRIs um, over and throughout the whole body. And when she came to share the results, um, she said, unfortunately, it looks like it has spread through your lymph nodes um, and you have spots on your liver and on your lungs. And, you know, initially, five days before it was stage two, we shared the news with the with the children, with the family, and we felt really confident that we could get through this because this is the cancer that you survive because you tend to find it early enough. And when she said it had spread, it There was definitely a moment of trying to take it in, thinking, what does that mean? Does it still mean it can be treated? Um, And and I think we we learned a lot of things very quickly. But one was triple negative is very um, aggressive. We realized then it's no longer stage two. That means stage four. That means it's in my bloodstream. That means it can keep it can keep going. So, I mean, it was it was it was devastating Um, and and really hard to 
just try and comprehend. Mm. And when we came home, we didn't choose to ch- share that with the children immediately because, you know, they'd been through a, a whole um, roller coaster of emotions themselves. How do you rationalise having incurable cancer? I mean, I think it's in- incredibly difficult and I don't know that I've entirely rationalised it, but I think um, this is this is really where my, my faith came into play. I have been a Catholic my whole life. And um, for me, it, it was incredibly helpful, I think. To, it, it gave me an inner strength. Um, I think it really helped focus my mind because I think positivity was key. And I think there's so much that you can't control once you have a diagnosis. So you do everything you can. I looked at my nutrition um, specifically because I felt that was maybe one thing I could do differently. And, you know, the rest is is just hope that um, these doctors can find a, a cocktail that's going to work on your um, particular um, tumour um, and cancer. And and then the rest was just keeping incredibly positive. And, and I think I did that through my Catholic community. It was the, the faith for me was, was two things. It provided an inner strength, but it also provided a great community that was completely non-judgmental and, um, and supportive. I was sent, of course, by, by this Catholic community. I was sent um, holy oil. I was, you know, sent cards for novenas what did that you, were said in my name. What did you do with the holy oil? I, I rubbed it on me. I used it. And, Why? you know, I kind of did it, I did it quietly, you know, just, I don't even think I necessarily shared it with my husband. I just thought, this is, you know, I've done everything that I can control, mm. but if there is a higher being, if there's anything else out there that may or may not work, I was willing to do it. Yes. And, and that's, I think that's why. Yeah. Did you pray? Yes, I did prayers. I was sent some cards with some, some really nice prayers, just, and it was just a, a focus. For me, it was a focus. Um, I mean, I'm a full-time, I was in full-time work as well. Mm. And and I think that was also important for me during my treatment was not spending too much time at home just thinking, allowing my, my brain to wander because, you know, the thoughts were really depressing. Yeah. So this was, I guess, my, my sort of meditation. It was a prayer. It was mm. just focusing my mind on something positive. Yeah. Uh, I too am a Catholic and... I know that when I was diagnosed, before I knew whether my cancer was going to be treatable, I I know that I prayed not to die. I mm. I did not want to die, mm. and and I remember even in my head saying, "Look, I may not have prayed for ages, but I'm going to start praying now. Please don't hold mm. that against me because this is so important." Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle. You described yourself as being somewhere between an agnostic and an atheist. You don't believe there is some kind of higher being? I think I would like to believe that, um, but I've never thought it was um, one particular religion or any um, sort of all-loving God, if you like, that uh, that was watching over us. So that that's never been a, a presence for me as I as I've come through childhood into adulthood. I've never thought that such a person was there. I think I'd like to believe, but I don't feel as if I've ever had a reason mm. to believe that. Can I ask you, when you were initially diagnosed, did you think I'm going to die? I did. I'd been in the unfortunate situation where I, I'd seen 
other special people to me, other loved ones die from breast cancer. And so that just seemed like the natural um, result of what would happen to me, I guess. So um, I did. Um, and initially I was really angry, um, but I wasn't railing against anybody. I wasn't angry with anybody in particular. I was just angry that it had happened to me. Um, but yeah, for a while, um, for a long while, it was pretty, pretty black, actually. Mm. Yeah. And was there any part of you thinking, I wish I did believe in God, actually? I think so. Um, for me, the most hypocritical, hypocritical thing to do would have been to uh, to use religion as a prop when things were, were looking bad. Um, so part of me um, kind of couldn't go there. And it was also a sort of, I didn't have to do the mental gymnastics about, well, why has this happened to me? If there is a God, how could he let that happen? Or how could she let that happen to me? I didn't have, you know, I thought that that wasn't something that troubled me. But in the back of my mind, I kind of, um, I did know other people who had had the comfort of their faith and I knew that really wasn't an option for me. Did your diagnosis make you think, I'm, I might be right here, that, that there is no God because I've been diagnosed with breast cancer? It did sort of vindicate my non-belief. Um, did it? Because, yeah, it did because I did think why would an all-powerful being allow this to happen to so many people? And I also don't have a belief that there's an afterlife. So for me, um, that was, you know, uh, all the more reason why life was precious, this life that you're living now. I wonder what others would say to Michelle about that. It was She felt it was a vindication. Well, I'd put it the other way around. I would say that when I had this difficult diagnosis and I'd only found out via my sister on the phone... What I felt was the opposite. I thought God created all these amazingly brilliant people and God gave people the ability to heal and cure. And aren't I lucky to be to be going through this with a community and with all these gifted people, the doctors and the nurses? So in a way, it, it reinforced my faith. I think perhaps... Helen was more optimistic than I was because I didn't think entire lucky that I'm going to, uh, that God is going to help me to get through this and to be cured. I did have a really um, supportive network and community around me, albeit not not a church one. Um, but I, I don't think I ever felt that optimism about I was fortunate that I was going to get through it. Mm. So to me, the opposite was true. I just felt that... Um, well, here I go. This is what's you know. This is what's going to happen to me. And um, if there was a God, why would they let that happen? Zaheen, when you initially felt a lump, what was going through your head? I was um, in bed early on a Saturday night, uh, reading a book. I felt very tired. Um, I could hear my husband listening to the news in the other room. I thought he'll be along soon. And um, I was literally falling asleep while I was reading the page. So I turned to the side to put my book down and I felt something pricking against my left breast. My hand instinctively went there and there was a lump. And I decided I wouldn't tell my husband um, because I didn't want to rub us of our sleep. So I turned around, I said a prayer 
um, for God to preserve my soul um, while I sleep. When I woke up in the morning, the lump was still there. So I told my husband, I went through a plethora of emotions. I actually thought, if it is cancer, what if it is cancer? And, you know, how advanced is it? And what if I've only got, you know, weeks to live? I had a cry, uh, several cries, um, and uh, the ups and downs of the emotions. But ultimately, I decided that I would hold on firmly to the rope of Allah, of God. Um, and he would get me through this, whatever the whatever the outcome. Um, so that was a conscious decision um, that, you know, God is going to help me through this, whatever is going to happen. Can I ask you how illness is viewed in Islam? Yes. Um, so illness is um, viewed as a mercy, in fact. Um, any hardship or difficulty is viewed as a mercy from God because it gives you an opportunity to um, expiate your sins through any suffering that you go for um, through. God says that, you know, it will atone for your sins. So it's al- almost like a blessing? Yes. So I think my my first thoughts, I, I felt gratitude at fi- finding the lump as well. I thought, I'm just glad I found it. Now I can, you know, go ahead and see, you know, um, if it can be treated, etc. But ultimately, um, as a Muslim, I believe that this lifetime is a test and it's a temporary lifetime. We're only here for, you know, a limited period of time. And every it's a fact of life that we all have to go one day. We all die one day. Um, so I came to terms with it. I thought if it's my time to go sooner rather than later, I trust in God's plan for me. So it was um, ultimately, I just, I felt, I felt a great deal of comfort from that, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, we all have to go someday. And, you know, if I'm going, you know, if I just got weeks or months to live, it's okay You'd made you'd made peace with that, had I'd you? I'd made peace with it. Yeah. Right. Okay. What does everyone so when, think of that? Being able to make peace with with the possibility of not surviving with I God's I, I, help. Help. I think that was something I felt as an atheist was never available to me. I I I never made peace with it, and I still haven't made peace with it. I did have some therapy um, because I obviously needed some healing in that area but I do envy you I do envy you being able to uh, to make your peace with it at the time with help from your faith I I think part of it is um, knowing that there's a time prescribed for everything you know even cut flowers you know they're only going to last a week so there's constant reminders in nature and the seasons changing um, that you know um, things will always change and not everything will be here forever but I think what's helped me is the belief that there is an afterlife and knowing that there is something better to come. I wonder if there might be some who don't follow your faith or any faith um, who might think, so if you're told your cancer is treatable, then God is getting you through it. And if you're told that your cancer isn't treatable, well, then God will, that's God's plan. So God can't lose either way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And it's God's plan. It's God's plan if it's treatable as well. Um, because one thing that helped me was, um, you know, we plan so much for the future and we think about, you know, things um, before we've actually reached that bridge to cross. We only have today. So it made me more mindful of each day being a gift and just to concentrate on that day and to make the most of it um, in any way I could. And there were days when, you know, I couldn't get out of bed. I was just too tired. But the belief that, you know, that there's always hope, you know, there's always hope. You should never give up hope. And um, I picked up the Quran um, because... I was going through, you know, a lot of anxiety and I just found so much comfort in the words of God. God saying things like um, he will never burden a soul with more than he can bear, things like that. Um, I just thought, yeah, I mean, I'm going through a lot at the moment, but God's not going to give me more than I can bear. Yeah. Taj, I mean, you talked about the holy oil and praying. What, what, where else did you find comfort? It definitely helped to think that there was a higher being and that, you know, I will I will get through this. I I think I was particularly shaken by the thought of my children and my my concern and my worry for them. Um and that was that was really hard to 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 just understand, but but also because we we've seen in our community, you know, people do come. There is a there is an, an end date for, for everyone and everything. Um, and, and life does go on. So in, in a similar way, I focused on on every day that I did have. And it, it, it did make me look at things differently. Um, it did make me think of, you know, what's important and what I want to pass on to my children and ensure that they know. Um, and, you know, but, but ultimately, I think the, the community and then the faith itself, it, it, it gave me some guidance. It gave me support. It helped me cope. I'm doing everything that I can, but this is beyond me. Yeah. Um, and I and I do think a positive mind, a you know, really positive mind, was was the most important thing for me. Have been very lucky so far that my treatment actually it, it showed some positive signs. It it did work. Um, you know, I don't know what the rest of my journey will be. I know it will get tougher. Um, there is a time when it will get really hard. Um, but I do feel quite strong that I will get through it. No, I can relate to that. I actually took my prayer book into hospital with me and I had my operation. It was actually in St. Thomas's Hospital, right on the very top. And for anyone who knows London, when I couldn't sleep, when I was really uncomfortable after the operation, there was the window, there was the River Thames, and then there was Big Ben. So when it was 3 a.m. and I couldn't sleep, I didn't have to ask the nurses because I could see the time. And I I would talk to God in the night, and that was really helpful when I was uncomfortable and frightened. And there's lots of rather beautiful images in Judaism that that I have at the back of my mind. So, for instance, there's an idea of the presence of God. The Hebrew word is shekhinah. So it's a feminine presence, hovers over the bed of the sick. And I thought to myself, I could really do with her right now. So what, what would you be saying to her? I would be saying to her, Get me through this. Yeah. I'm feeling pretty low at this moment and pretty uncomfortable. And then there's a morning prayer, and I would say the morning prayer, and that would make me feel grounded and less scared and, and less anxious. And I think it gave me an, 
an added sensitivity and awareness. There's something deeper and more profound than this life. And that was really helpful. Mm. I I also took in, um, at the time, I couldn't concentrate on anything. Um, I couldn't read a book. I couldn't pick up a novel. Um, I couldn't talk to friends because I didn't want to you know, burden people with, um, you know, everybody was going through the pandemic and I didn't want to bring bad news to anybody. So I kind of became a bit insular um, and only told, you know, uh, family and close friends. So when I had to go into hospital for my surgeries, I took in um, a Quran and a prayer book. For one split second, I'd probably thought that, oh, I'm all alone. I have to do this all alone. Nobody can visit me. And then I realised... I'm not alone because God's with me and God, like in the Hebrew faith, he is with the sick and he is with the needy. And also um, I felt like I needed to get to know God better. So I started studying the 99 names of God. So in, in the Muslim faith, God has 99 attributes and these are things like he is the most compassionate, he is the most merciful, he is um, uh, the creator. Um, And I started looking at these and I drew so much comfort from those, um, knowing that he is the all-knower, he knows everything, so he knows what's to come and he knows what's what's been. And did did that help calm your anxiety to to a certain extent? It did thoroughly, and I'll give you an example of that. Um, um, after my first operation, they had taken, so it was a lump tech to me, sorry. <laughs> the language was something as I know. well, you know, and learning and all these You're right, words. you're right. Let's explain what a lumpectomy <laughs> is. It's literally, as it sounds, yes. a lump, yes. the lump, the yes. lump where the tumour is, is taken out of your breast, as opposed That's to right. a mastectomy when the whole breast is removed. That's right. So I had that, and at that time, they had tested a couple of the lymph nodes by removing them and um, um, I, I, I didn't feel that you know it would have spread because I was told oh you've caught it very early but um, they, they had found some um, cancer cells in the lymph nodes so I was told that I would have to have lymph node removal so if you can imagine um, you know you're just um, you're just trying to um, uh, get better from the first surgery and you've been told that you have to go for another surgery by the end of that same month. Um, They said, um, the doctors had said, um, we're going to send you for a full body PET scan um, to see whether um, the cancer cells have spread anywhere else in your body. So at that time, I just felt like, oh, my goodness, what if it has spread to my liver or my kidneys or my brain? Um, You know, um, so there's that fear that, you know, seeps in again. And um, again, I had to go for this scan um, by myself. And it was it was on the day of my birthday. (laughs) So um, so there was the fact that, you know, this isn't what I had imagined for my birthday, but I went along for the scan and I was getting extreme anxiety. It was just creeping up on me. You know, no matter how positive you are um, and how much faith you have, there are sort of, you know, physical reactions to your body. Mm. 
and uh, my heart would be beating very fast, you know. And um, oh, it's fear. It's fear, isn't yes, it? Yes, it's the yeah. fear. It's the anxiety. Yeah, mm. fear of the unknown. Um, so um, I I sat in the waiting room and I repeated over and over and over again the peace giver, the peace giver, because God is the peace giver, and I just you know, so it was like a mantra. It was just in my head, Mm. you know, and by the time they'd called me in, I was absolutely fine. My heart rate, my pulse rate had gone down and I just felt, okay, let's get this over and done with. And um, I got home and um, in Islam, um, it says several times in the Quran that with hardship, there is relief or that ease follows any difficulty. So um, I really felt that. I felt that, yes, I'd had a difficult morning and now I was home with my husband, with my daughter. We cut a cake and this was the ease that followed. Um, so it's it was it's kind of being mindful of and thankful for all the good things as well and okay. making sure that the bad things in life don't negate the good things, um, don't cancel them. And, you know, um, so it's still recognising that, yes, I've got this problem at the moment and it's being dealt with, but at the same time, there's so much good in my life and um, there's so much to be happy for and grateful for. Whether you are back at work Traveling or planning your wardrobe for a special occasion, take time to express yourself through your clothes. None of us want to be stereotyped. We are all individuals, and the designers at Marina Rinaldi create collections that can help you step away from the everyday to the new you. So if Helen and Zaheen and Taj leaned more heavily on their faith when they got their diagnoses, Michelle, who or what did you lean on more once you were diagnosed? Um, on my family, mm. on my friends, um, on the confidence I had uh, in the medicine and the doctors and the hospitals, Um on myself, on my self-confidence, I guess. And um, I also, as I said, uh, had some therapy. That was really useful. Um, that's, you know, to me, that's a sort of secular equi- equivalent, really, isn't it, of, of seeking comfort and solace somewhere because it's almost a prayer, isn't it, going into therapy and, and talking. Um, you don't necessarily get the answers. You just have um, somebody to, to voice your fears to. Um, I have since, not during treatment, but afterwards, um, began to do yoga. And I think that was a really good way um, to help with my kind of self-empowerment and um, my my mindfulness. I, I, the whole time really was full of anxiety for me. Um, I can't ever say that all of those wonderful things that I had around me ever made me feel a lot better, but they were there for me um, and they were the things that I turned to. And I think the further away I've got from the treatment, the more I have come to terms with things. And and now I definitely do find a sense of peace and calm through doing yoga mm. and obviously still having my friends and family around me. Of course. I, I just wanted to say that I did counselling as well because I, I felt it was very important 
Um, uh, our, our bodies, you know, we believe that, you know, our bodies are given to us in trust by God for this term, this lifetime. And it's very important to look after them in every way that's possible because we only get this one body to last us a lifetime. Taj, have you t- talked to a counsellor? Um, actually, no. I, I, I haven't spoken to a counsellor. It was offered um, at various different stages, and and um, I think it, it, it it's incredibly it can be incredibly useful. I did have a, a sister that was assigned to me, and I did speak with her, um, but that was through the through the hospital, not mm. not a Catholic sister. Yeah. Um, and she was helpful, but I, I think it was. What I found most helpful was having that third party who was completely impartial, um, because when I got my diagnosis, it was it was a year before lockdown, but actually that whole journey ended just before just before COVID, and I just found everywhere I went, everything I saw on television, it was there were, there were constant reminders of, of cancer, cancer, every you know everything, even sitting in the office and the radio would be on and a Macmillan cancer message would come up and everybody would look at me. Um, it was, you know, it was, I just found it was everywhere um, because life at that time was relatively normal. Um, it was pre-COVID um, and and everybody had an opinion and everybody, you know, wanted to share that with me. I found that incredibly overwhelming. Mm. So being able to speak to that third party was was helpful. And I guess that was sort of my my kind of therapy. Yeah. Finally, could I ask all of you, what words of advice or comfort would you give to anyone who is going through breast cancer right now? Um, For me, I just saw it as something that I had to endure and that with everything that um, that the medical world knows so far, that the chances are if you look at the statistics it will be okay and that you have to grit your teeth get through the treatment and carry on with your life and I, I would just say as well briefly that Zahim was talking about it as a blessing I, I, I would never see it be having breast cancer as a blessing but I can see that I've learned some valuable lessons from it and I do better appreciate the things that I do have and it's kind of made me look at life a little bit more so there are some positives come out of it so I would say you know that there it's not all bleak and the only other thing I would say and this is going to sound quite negative is that I'm loath to kind of um, criticise anybody because I know they've only ever had my best interests at heart. But I'd also say to people who do have faith, just be cautious about telling people who are going through treatment that you're going to pray for them or that, you know, that that you're going to ask God for help. Because to me that, well, that was just to me, that was terrifying. Um, At the time I had, you know, people who I, I wasn't particularly close to had sort of written to me and said that they were praying for me. And that just made me think, oh, shit, I'm going to die. Mm. <laughs> I just thought <laughs> if that I equate the only time I've ever been in church is either a funeral or a wedding. And it just made me think, oh, my God. This is really bad if they're this praying This is for really me. bad. If people are praying for me, mm. it's not good, is it? Mm. So, so it's funny you, know. you should say that because I was going to say what the advice I'd give to people is, do it your way. Yeah. Do it your way. No one can tell you the right way for you. 
talk to people, if it's meditation or yoga or prayer, find a place where it feels okay and that you can get support to do it your way. Um, I started off by saying my twin sister did have breast cancer. And the thing that drove her absolutely mad was when people who she maybe didn't know terribly well would come up to her and say in this a voice as if she was made of cut glass, how are you? <laughs> you know, as if she wasn't still her. And what she wanted to be was still her struggling with breast cancer. And she had hers 20 years ago and she's fine. And that sort of story to know that somebody had it wasn't great. She's got people, she's got a faith and she's fine. Then that's, I, I think people find that quite helpful. Right. Whereas to be you know, I find I have to be really careful when I go and visit someone because, you know, the rabbi walks in, you think, oh, my, this is the beginning of the end. So you have to be a bit careful. <laughs> and a female rabbi as well. So even more there unusual. Yeah. Um, before I bring Zaheen and Taj in finally for their, if they have any words of advice or comfort for anybody going through breast cancer right now. Uh, Helen, you had, your, you said your, your, you, you and your sister have this very unusual Cowden syndrome. Uh, a rare uh, genetic syndrome. Your sister had breast cancer uh, and had surgery. You had a preventative double mastectomy. I did. And that was the right thing when you look back? You can't control much when you're going through this breast cancer journey. But I made the choice I wanted to have the preventative surgery. Um, and, And I don't regret it for one second. And in fact, I think it's really helpful to have podcasts like this And actually, for people to talk about it, you know, and people have talked to me about it because they know what I, uh, my particular breast cancer journey. We're all different. There's no right way. You just have to do what's right for you. Okay. Thank you. Taj, what would you say? I would say, um, I think when you, when you get that breast cancer diagnosis, one, it's, it's a time to be selfish um, and to really, you know, do what you want to do. And to, I guess, confirm what's important to you um, and try and block out the rest of the noise. Um, I found, I found, you know, staying positive was the most important thing for me because the future was just so unknown. So whatever I needed to be positive was what I focused on. And the third thing that really helped me is having a partner. Um, So for me, my husband, who has been incredibly supportive but also um, because I think mine is a stage four diagnosis and it's, you know, it's a particular type of breast cancer, which is very aggressive and so much is unknown. He's the one who does an awful lot of research um, and I don't have to, but he, there is somebody who is fighting my corner and um, that is incredibly supportive because I can just focus on everything else um, that I want to do. Um, um, you know, the children, the family life, um, the, 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 you know, keeping the faith. So that's, I have to say that is incredibly, um, that has been incredibly important to me on my journey. And I would hope that everybody has um, somebody like that to to help them along. Because, you know, I think you can so easily get, um, you know, you you could go and spiral downwards, I think, so easily. Um, Yeah, he's got your back. Yeah, absolutely. Sahin, what would you say finally? Um, firstly, I can really relate to what Taj just said because my husband took care of all the appointments. But I think I would say I, I know it's hard to understand if, you know, that an illness could be a mercy. But um, one thing that um, 
leaped out at me from the Quran was um, God saying, and it may be that you dislike a thing that is good for you. So I just thought, you know, that that kind of gave me, you know, we might not like things, but they can make us stronger. Ladies, thank you very much, all of you. Thank you so much for being so open and so honest. And uh, I want to send you lots of love and lots of strength and lots of luck. And if you want more information about breast cancer, please do go to the Future Dreams website. You can contact me too at any time at Vic Derbyshire on Twitter and Instagram. I'd love to hear your feedback, your stories, your experiences. Or you can email us. Here's the address, podcast at futuredreams.org.uk. And then Came Breast Cancer is a Factory Originals and Six Foot Six production. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. If you would like to help us do more, please text We Care to 70500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text cost your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payer's permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care, no info. Thank you again for listening.